As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guest today is Ryan Stein, Executive Director, Auto Insurance Policy and Innovation Team at the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Ryan and his team work with insurance companies to develop solutions to existing and emerging regulatory issues affecting their businesses. They also coordinate IBC's policy development and national advocacy strategies for emerging issues such as automated vehicles, the sharing economy, digital distribution, and cyber risk. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about the Insurance Bureau and your role there. So Insurance Bureau of Canada is the National Trade Association for Canada's property and casualty insurance companies. So the insurance companies that provide insurance for people's cars, their homes, and their businesses. My role within the organization, I work in the policy development department. So what we do is try to identify the legislative and regulatory issues that are affecting insurance companies. We look at things that are kind of in the laws that are inhibiting innovation and then try to find solutions for them, which could be eliminating the law, changing it, and we try to build a business case for governments and regulators so they can see that if they make that change, what the benefit to consumers will be. I'm sure that you and your team are always thinking about these sorts of things and the future of insurance and how that affects your members and their clients. How is the business environment changing for property and casualty insurance today? I mean, there's lots of change happening. And in fact, you know, the pandemic has really magnified some of the change. So just zero in on, on auto insurance, for example. There's restrictions on, you know, how customers can receive certain documents. You know, they can receive a lot digitally, but some documents they have to actually receive printed and in the mail. Rates are calculated based on, for premiums, you know, based on proxies about, you know, the likelihood of someone being in a collision looking at their gender, their, their driving experience, their driving record, but there's telematics and various types of technologies that can actually track how you drive, how well you drive, how far you drive, and, and determine a more accurate premium that way. So with the pandemic, people sort of suddenly not driving as, you know, being more locked in their homes, so to say, uh, not driving as much, you know, not wanting to go out as much. There's a greater demand for, for digital documents and auto insurance policies that really reflect how people drive and how much they drive. And it really kind of built a case for why, you know, there should be more online options and more telematics based options in the market. And that's been one of the main things we've been speaking with governments and regulators about. And fortunately, we've seen some really positive changes, particularly in, in Ontario and Alberta that are going to welcome more online options, uh, more telematics based pricing, 
And, and I'm really excited for the next year or two to really see the, the developments in the market that come because of those public policy changes. The other thing that's been in the news a lot is global warming and the rising seas. And I know that uh, there's been um, positions and, and uh, discussions uh, within the insurance industry around the implications, you know, on the coasts and in different parts of the country with the floodplains and that kind of stuff. What sort of is the, is the current state of those changes that are going on? Yeah, I mean, climate change and, you know, there being more severe weather, that's been a, a trend for, for a while. You know, it wasn't that long ago there wasn't flood insurance for residential properties, but insurance companies have developed coverage and it's growing in the market. But nevertheless, you have people that are living in really high-risk areas and it's not about if there's going to be a flood, it, it's about when. And then I really think it's, you know, the it's a broader public policy issue of, you know, people being in high-risk areas and the financial risks that they're incurring. Are there solutions? I mean, you know, if it's not all about insurance. It's about often, you know, do we have the right, you know, mitigation measures in place, the right infrastructure. And really, when it comes down to certain areas, you know, should there actually be buildings in them? It's a really complex kind of long-term issue. But every few years, it sets a new record for insured losses because of natural catastrophes. And it's really costly. And then something's going to have to change eventually. So change means innovation lots of times. And new products and uh, different kinds of expertise and Looking at uh, different risk profiles and who's responsible for what and that kind of stuff, it, it must it must really drive a, a lot of thinking and discussion around new solutions and, and new ways of looking at things. So, for example, uh, autonomous vehicles. You know, I think there's an argument as to who's at, who's at fault. You know, if a car, an autonomous vehicle crashes, is it driven by the vehicle, therefore the manufacturer, or is it the person who's uh, in the car or owns the car? You know, those sorts of things. So, how how do you you uh, think about that in the context of, uh, of the insurance industry? It's a huge focus, particularly of, of my team. If you look at just going back a little bit before automated vehicles uh, really became a topic, you had the sharing economy, you had ride sharing come in. And you'll remember back in 2015 when ride sharing or 14 when ride sharing first came, they weren't driving around with full coverage. And some people thought that the ride sharing companies were, were outlaws, that they're just not buying the insurance. But when you really examine the issue, it was they were buying insurance. It's just that the insurance that the legislation and regulation allowed them to buy, which were the legislation and regulation that dictated what insurance companies could provide, didn't allow for the type of coverage that the ride sharing companies needed. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of this. It was really unique, um, you know, working with a group of insurance companies that kind of identified this issue and said, well, if you want the ride sharing companies to have insurance, we need to update the insurance laws because, you know, there's no more vehicles are just personal or commercial. There's sort of a mix of both. And, you know, you, you might need two policies to reflect them. And those policies are going to be purchased by different people. The vehicle owner buys their own personal insurance and the ride sharing company might want to buy the insurance for the ride sharing piece. And so we worked with the insurance companies. We studied other jurisdictions, saw how they dealt with this insurance issue. And we put a proposal in front of the you know, the provincial governments back in 2016. And, you know, it's been nice to see that uh, many of the provinces ha- have moved forward with updating their their insurance laws to accommodate the sharing economy. Now, automated vehicles is another example. The insurance laws are really written, you know, liability policies that are part of them are written for the person causing the collision, not the, the vehicle causing the collision. And right now, humans 
cause like 95% of collisions or something like that. So the auto insurance policies are perfect for that. But when maybe it's could be 50-50 at one point. And so the auto insurance, so you're going to have these lengthy litigations involving you know the personal insurance and then the product liability or, or the, the commercial insurance of the vehicle manufacturer around a product liability claim. That's not a good process for someone who's injured to have to go through. So again, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to work with a group of companies that looked at the current insurance laws and wanted to make updates to it to reflect the fact that technology could be the cause of future collisions. And how do we make sure that if there are collisions, that the injured people can get compensated, you know, quickly and fairly as they do now. And uh, we came out with a proposal a couple of years ago. You know, we've had discussions with certain provincial and, and, and federal governments about it. You know, it's it's more of a long-term type change. But, you know, the, close, the more we get into the 2020s, the more that there's going to be an urgent need for change because the uh, technology on vehicles is evolving quite quickly. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts, improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L or email Jerry at jerry.purcell at innovation360group.com. It's hard to have a conversation today with anybody that COVID doesn't come up. <laughs> it's impacted everybody, but it's impacted the insurance business and its clients. So tell me a little bit about how COVID has impacted clients of insurance. Yeah, I mean, COVID had an, had an impact on everybody, pretty deep impact. And then you, you, you look at it from an insurance perspective, I think it, you know, it's multifaceted. You know, the people were paying for insurance policies based on the fact that they're driving a certain amount every week every day or they're operating their business a certain way and then they're using a house a certain way and then all of a sudden one day in mid-march it suddenly changed but they're still paying their auto insurance as if they're driving to work every day even though their car is just parked in the driveway or they have two cars and one isn't getting used at all their business isn't operating anymore and so uh, but they're still paying insurance as if it was and i think once the insurance company sort of they had to adjust their operations too and i'd say they did it quite quickly to be able to continue to serve their policyholders with a lot of their staff working from home and making sure that the ones that don't have proper safety procedures in place companies were able to keep their businesses running and then they they you know they identified hey look you know our customers are in a tough spot and and really they're you know maybe they're for for many of them the price that they're paying for insurance doesn't reflect uh, the risk. And you saw in April, the insurance industry through IBC made a commitment to provide relief measures for people who weren't driving anymore or driving less. They had committed uh, 600 to provide $600 million at the time, and it's turned out to be significantly more than that. And as they continue to help their customers, insurance companies expanded coverage and policies. You know, people that were using 
their homes for different reasons or using their, their cars for food delivery or whatever. They were expanding coverage for that at, at, uh, at no fee. Um, they were accommodating businesses, especially small businesses that, you know, their, their operations were ceased quite a bit. They, you know, would find ways to provide relief uh, to them. So, um, it was a, it was a real, you know, it was one of the times I was really proud to be part of the industry to see its, its response uh, to help its customers. And, you know, I also study how the insurance industry acts around the world and it helped their customers in other countries as well a lot, but I haven't found anywhere where it really coordinated itself as an industry to, to make sure that, you know, all of its customers could benefit from here. So it, it was a really good response, I, I think, and, and, and one that they came together quickly to do because they really wanted to help. So that was pretty early in, in, in the pandemic. But now I could link the pandemic with what was sort of like a hardening commercial insurance market where insurance on the commercial side had been for businesses had been under pressure for a long time from you know rising property losses because of severe weather. Interest rates had been low for a long time, which meant companies needed to, to, to earn a profit. They, they need to earn it more off of the insurance policy. It, they can't just rely on their investments and then COVID hit, which, you know, had a massive economic effect and, and hurt capital. We now see many small businesses, particularly in the small bars and restaurant space that can't get insurance or their insurance is significantly, the premium is significantly higher than, than what it was before. And again, you know, to, to their credit, the, the insurance, you know, many insurance companies came together and said, you know, we need to find a, a solution. You know, they came up with a pretty creative one and, and they negotiated it really fast, you know, in a matter of weeks. Is they created a uh, what's called the business insurance action team, and it's a, a last resort market for small restaurants and bars that can't get insurance in the regular market. And these thirteen insurers that are part of it are going to for anyone who's eligible, any small restaurant and bar in Ontario. That's where its focus is right now. They'll provide coverage and make sure that there's at least one option available for these businesses so that they can uh, keep running, which is incredibly important now because their services are essential. That's pretty cool. We often associate innovation with, you know, new technologies or or like brand new products and stuff. And here's a situation where the industry gathered together to uh, to develop a solution that's good for clients. And not that uh, it isn't something that, that we do all the time, but it is a different kind of innovative uh, approach to things. So tell me a little bit about how the business insurance action team works. What are the steps that um, potential client needs to take? Yeah, I'll talk about that. But you mentioned how innovation is not always technology related. The idea, the, the genesis of the idea came from a response in the United States to a similar insurance price crisis in the 1970s. They set up these market assistance programs voluntarily in various states to provide that kind of last market effort. Now, the insurance companies that are part of the business insurance action team really built on that. But it was interesting that the, the, the initial idea was from like almost 50 years ago, but they added some pieces to it, which I'll talk about now. So the first is it's for small restaurants and bars in Ontario, which is the sector in the province that is having insurance challenges that are more unique than other sectors and in other provinces. So an applicant would apply and if they meet the eligibility requirements, they would engage with a risk manager that we have retained. That risk manager will work with the small business and the small business's insurance intermediary to make sure that they have, you know, the basic policies and procedures in place to maintain safe operations. And it's really on a focus on things that uh, the business could, could implement, you know, relatively quickly and at a reasonable cost.
cost. And then the whole idea is there is for the risk manager to, you know, try to find ways of making the small restaurant and bar more, more insurable in, in, in the regular market. So after going through that process and, and if the small business, you know, agrees and makes those changes, the, the insurance intermediary for the small business can go back to the regular market and try to find coverage. We've also have a, a roster of representatives from the, the broker uh, community, as well as from the managing general agents community, where we could also see about trying to, trying to help to provide more insurance options through them. So we're working with our organizations, associations for the managing general agents and, and, and the brokers to, to, to help with that process. If after going through all that, the small restaurant and bar still can't find insurance or it's still not, maybe they can, but the quote is just super high. You know, it's just not reasonable for that business. They can get, uh, there'll be an option for coverage from the insurers that are part of the business insurance action team. And so one of the companies that participates is the lead underwriter who will engage with the insurance intermediary and the, and, and the small restaurant and bar. And hopefully they could come to terms on coverage. So it's really about, you know, we're really trying to, to improve the risk if we can trying to really make sure that they exhaust all options in the regular market. And, and with our risk manager, we'll try to help with that and coordinate and facilitate. Um, and then again, the insurers that are part of the business insurance action team will provide coverage if at the end of it, that there's no other option for that small restaurant and bar. It's really a question of viability for the restaurant, right? If, if they can't get insurance, then they're out of business. They need insurance to operate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, this is an important service and, you know, similar markets, situations like this, while you're in them, they seem like they're going to go on forever, but they really don't last that long. They last a year or two around there. We're already several months into this for the small restaurants and bars. Hopefully next year, year after we'll be past it and you won't need a business insurance action team. But while it's there, hopefully it, it can provide some service. So what's been the result? It's only been up for, uh, it's been less than a month. Most of the, the applicants that have gone through, uh, worked with the risk manager, have been able to get coverage back in the regular market. There were some that, you know, went through, uh, that we were able to open some doors through, uh, managing general agents. So, so far it's helped in, in that regard. So I think the few small restaurants and bars that went through it found that helpful. But again, you know, what's interesting is the risk management advice and then also really just working with them to make sure that they exhaust all options in the regular market has paid off. We've been in, in all cases been able to find coverage in, in the regular market by going through this process. That's very good. The rest, restaurant and other small business community have had enough challenges as, uh, as it is without uh, not being able to find insurance. So it's really an example of thinking about customers and their needs. And it's good to see the insurance industry doing that. As the business evolves and as the world evolves, customer needs change and the customer experience change. So this is a new channel, for example, of being able to acquire insurance and it perhaps didn't exist before. What other kinds of things are coming down the pike and how do you think they're going to impact customer experience? Like, for example, data. There's not more data now. How does that affect the kinds of services and the kinds of uh, implications for customers? I mean, data is, is one of the most valuable resources right now. And, and there's, you know, all this new technology for getting data in different ways and analyzing it um, and really being able to uh, pinpoint, you know, the nature of a risk, the, the likelihood of a loss. And there's a lot of good customer benefits that can come from that you know, one is, you know, the customer will pay a, a premium that's more reflective of their risk. And for people that are considered uh, safer risks, I mean, they, they'll definitely benefit from that. And people that are higher risks, you know, they'll... 
it'd be properly priced. They'll, they'll be properly priced, but I, I was going to say that the, the fact that you can be more confident in, in what the risk is, you, you could be more confident in working with you know the insurance company or the insurance intermediary or working with the customer on ways uh, of reducing it. And you know what are the different risk mitigation measures that can work? So I, I don't see you know uh, data. It's just about the price. Price is a part of it, but it's also about identifying specifically what the risk is and then being able to work with the customer to reduce that risk. And then by definition, you then reduce the price. And I think that's an incredible value-added uh, service that insurance companies could provide and data would enable them to do that. Perhaps you can identify opportunities that they hadn't thought of yet, kind of like from a client perspective, uncovering need and those kinds of things, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, cyber is, is one example where cyber has always kind of been looked at as a, as a commercial risk. And now we're, we're seeing it more as a, a personal risk as well. And you see various new types of products that are, uh, that are coming to the market to, to provide, you know, an option, provide coverage for people that, uh, that want it. So if I snap my fingers, now we're in 2030, what, what does uh, business look like in 2030? Okay. So, you know, crystal ball time it's a great question i love talking about this stuff it's just it's i'll never go back and re-listen to the podcast then to, to find out how wrong i was but uh but here <laughs> future of mobility i think is a big one it's one um you know i spend a lot of time on working with uh, with insurance companies you know we talked before about the sharing economy and then vehicle automation but what happens when they collide you know what happens if you know the theory is vehicle automation will improve the economics of ride sharing, which would could then lead to an environment where people aren't don't feel the need to buy cars. You know, one, you know, we talked a little bit about how you need to update the insurance law so you can make sure that there's proper coverage out there. But just thinking about it from a business perspective, if you're an insurance company you sell to individual customers, you know, what kind of change would you need to do to be able to, well, one, capitalize or, you know, just be you know, able to compete in, in that kind of, uh, that kind of market. And, you know, it's really interesting. We work on, like, like I talked about the sharing economy laws. It was interesting to see once the change happened, the various companies that got into that space after. And there's been a lot of competition in it. So companies are really focused in on that because they see that there could be massive change. I don't know if it's going to be in 10 years or in what, but it will, you know, if vehicle ownership trends change, insurance has to change with it. Would it change who the client is? Like, would, would the insurance coverage be with the manufacturer instead of the owner of the car? Or how, how would that work? So I guess there's lots of questions like that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, right now it follows the owner of the car. But if people aren't buying cars and then there's these fleets of ride-sharing companies, like ride-sharing companies with these fleets of vehicles, then yeah, there'll, there'll be fewer customers. So there could be a lot of change then. Or, you know, now here's real crystal balling. You know, what if... People are just buying their own personal transportation insurance. And 10 years from now, say, I don't own a car and, you know, I'm ride sharing. I'm taking the TTC. I, you know, I ride my bike, a whole bunch of things. Maybe I just buy an insurance policy that covers me no matter what mode of transportation I'm using. So there's a lot of change that can happen. It's really fun to think about it. So what advice would you give to today's and tomorrow's insurance leaders about how to innovate and how to think about new markets? So I've seen companies when they have these really unique, good ideas that will really improve the experience for their customers and really kind of set like a new market within the market, you know, look at the insurance laws and be like, oh, the laws don't allow it. We can't do it. And, you know, I think there's a need to change that mindset. And I see it changing already. And, 
you know, the reason is, is I'm finding that the governments and the regulators also want to improve the customer experience. And they're willing to entertain ideas. They're willing to entertain ideas to change laws or regulations if it will benefit the customer. So, you know, my advice for companies is, you know, if you have a, an idea for a new product or a new way of pricing or, or underwriting and the laws are getting in the way, well, you know, don't let that stop you. Build a strong case for why a change would be good for the customer. Think about some of the consumer protection issues that governments and regulators would think about. So you could come ready to, you know, in your solution, ways of addressing them and engage with governments and regulators because really you all kind of want what's best for the customer. So yeah, that's my advice is really, you know, there's opportunity for change and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind it to, to make that change happen, but the rewards would be huge. So I'd encourage companies that, that think that the laws are stopping them from doing something to look to engage governments and regulators on, on making that change and really building a strong case for uh, why it would benefit consumers. And I, I think companies will find a receptive audience with the government and the regulators in those discussions. Very interesting. It kind of boggles the mind, doesn't it? All the different things that could happen and the changes that could take place. I wanted to thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to chat with me today. This wraps up our episode. And as always, I look forward to hearing thoughts from you, our listeners, in, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. If you like the show, tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or to comment on LinkedIn. Go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows. Stay safe and see you next week. And thank you very much, Ryan, for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Take care. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today.